You're listening to Bedroom Beethoven's, where notable music makers break down stories accompanied by songs and melodies documenting growth through their 10,000-hour journey. And me? Well, my name is Cello, your host. I am a bedroom Beethoven. <laughs> well, look here, bro. Whoever you are, uh, my schedule is kind of tight, so show me what you got, bro. Hey, everybody. Episode 84 of the podcast is here. Let's travel to Jamtown. Nah, 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 nah. See, bro, you, you can't rush good music. You know what I'm saying? You don't rush that. You know, this is butters. You know what I'm saying? You just sit back and cool out to some of my smooth tunes, okay? Yeah. All right, is that cool? Yeah. All right, here we go. go My guest go, this week go, go, is. Go, go. My name is Romero Mosley. I've worked with uh, various artists such as Norell, who also went by Lola Brown, India Sean, Javante, uh, Terrace Martin. I've worked with, with quite a few people. son of a jazz saxophonist and gospel singer, Romero was left no choice but to fully embrace a life of music, which works out for me because I wanted him on as a guest. So from playing drums in the band to interning at radio stations, playing the trumpet in middle school, working at production companies in the hometown of Cleveland, Ohio, there was no getting around it, and we explore all those stories. Now, with a belly full of spirits and treats, Fully fresh off celebrating his birthday a few weeks back, I catch him as morale is high during an otherwise low time in quarantine in the city of angels itself, Los Angeles. First and foremost, I appreciate you being here, tuning into the podcast, checking me out. If you want to support me, showing up is half the battle, but find me on YouTube and like, comment, subscribe. I know all those annoying YouTubers tell you to hit that bell notification, but hey, it helps. Kinda. Check out BedroomBeethoven's.com. That is the website, and patreon.com slash bedroombeethovens is where you can give a buck or two to the show to make sure the guests keep coming, the sponsorship ads stay low, and the ship chugs along as I continue to build this library of gems and knowledge. For instance, it took 84 episodes, but Romero and I finally talk about sync licensing. I can't believe it hasn't come up before until now, but that's what we dive into. Welcome everybody to September. I hope this is the kickoff for a good month for you. Shout out to J.P. Floyd as well, and thanks to all of you. Let's go. Before Juice World, before Brandy... You are Mr. Lucid Dreams himself, the originator, Romero Mosley. So th- thank you for being here. I got to come clean. So as I was picking uh, the title for my first project, of course, I wanted to see, okay, who all has used it. And I think there was like 
there was like a Latin act or something that happened like years and years before my Lucid Dreams came out. So I can't take all the credit, but for the sake of a cool interview, yup, I'm the original. <laughs> well, first and foremost, happy late birthday, man. How was your quarantine birthday? Well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. I um, just kind of chilled back for the most part, went and grabbed lunch, took it easy, got myself some cupcakes and a, a bottle of champagne, which is usually my tradition. Uh, year after year, I get, you know, probably a cake, cupcakes by myself, a bottle of Clico, and just um, reflect. So it was cool, man. It was Definitely odd not having the liberty to uh, be with a bunch of friends and family, you know, out and about and kick it like I may have wanted to. But, you know, I'm appreciative not everyone was able to celebrate a birthday this year. So <laughs> every day above ground is uh, is a blessing. So I have no complaints there. It's funny. I, I went on your Instagram and on your birthday post in the background, I saw Hurricanes the Rick Ross memoirs. And I was like, really? But then I went to Amazon and it has 900 plus five-star reviews. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe it's worth a read. Yeah, it's cool, man. I haven't really like delved in all the way, but I thought where you probably where you saw it in the background, it, it went pretty well <laughs> with the aesthetic of my apartment. I just painted my wall not too long ago and just got that book not too long ago either. So yeah, but like rap music aside, though, it, it's been a good month for R and B. You got Kem, Tony Braxton, Brandy, Avant. I'm feeling like the '90s are coming back. Yeah, shout out to Avant. He's from the crib too, born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. So the brand I haven't heard the Avant project. Haven't heard. Uh, Kim's project either, although that's my father's like uh, alter ego. He loves Kim. Neither have I heard the Tony Braxton joint, but the Brandy is insane. Shout out to uh, her and uh, DJ Camper. They went crazy on that. See, I, I said Avant. I set, I set a trap. I slid in Avant to see how you'd react, and now I know you're from Cleveland because and, – and you make untrue statements like Bone Thugs are the most influential hip-hop group, and you know damn well that isn't true, but – you're from Cleveland, so you have to rep. <laughs> what part of that is, is untrue? <laughs> hey, I get it. I'm from Texas, so I'll tell you that UGK is the most influential. But, wow. you know, it, it's where you, it's where you're from. So I'm going to die on that hill. Shout <laughs> out to UGK. I mean, you can never go wrong pulling up Chad or Bond. But I will say as far as, like, true influence and what you're hearing right now in today's music with the triplets and – you know, it's an on and on debate about who invented the triplet, but Cleveland, you can still hear that, the melodic, sped up. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, I could go on and on about that. So I won't. I, I won't lie. Avant had a good run, but as, as I think as a 15 year old, I couldn't grasp the concept of separated. And also, he made the word sleeve have six syllables in that song. It, it was a crazy song. I mean, however you want to pronounce mastermind, you, you can do that. But, uh, you know, Avant, he's, he's one of the, the goats of R&B, regardless of if he only had a couple, you know, projects that came out. Anybody that can, can dissect one word in that many syllables, I mean, you, <laughs> you have to I do. I have a theory, though. So uh, Avant says that his first real artistic breakthrough came out of a personally challenging situation. He got his heart broken. He wrote a poem and it was separated, which became his first big hit. Oh, wow. But it was just a poem at first. And his manager at the time was like, yo, man, you need to put some music to this. It's amazing. And Avant was like, nobody's going to want to hear my heartache and pain. And his manager was like, no, they do. And when he did it, that's what made him the writer that he is today. Because 
these are not fantasies that people are writing about. This is actually real life. And you can apply that to Eminem when he's talking about his mom doing more drugs than him and how he hates his wife versus Logic saying how hot his wife is and how cool it is to be a dad and Chance the Rapper telling us how in love he is. You know, people are waiting for the Crimea River phase in your career. You know, we want sadness. Misery loves company. 1,000%. And, and, and I think you have a good formula, though. Soul music with a thesis of love, life, and holding on while letting go. Yeah, man. And um, I guess that, that was the most beautiful segue I've ever heard in the history of podcasts, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah, my last project was off the cusp of a really, really bad breakup. And it you know, served as a means of therapy to me just to kind of get those thoughts out and get those feelings out. And I felt like... Um, you know, we've all had love, we've lost love and, you know, gone through what we've gone through and it resonates. It resonated with me as I was making it, the people that I created the project with, um, from the sounds that were used down to the, the lyrics. It um it kind of forces you to to go deep inside and question, you know, what you thought about life, love and everything else when you lose someone. You know what I mean? So it's therapeutic, it was healing, you know, to get that out. And um, yeah, man, it was a really ugly time that, you know, brought forth fruit, I guess you could say. And the reason why you're able to interpret your feelings into music, your parents are knee deep in music, right? They're right brained, musical phenoms, singing, all that, right? Yeah, man. My, um, my grandfather is like, you know, before he passed, classically trained, you know, pianist, my uh, father, like all state saxophone player. Mom sang in the choir, so I've always just been around music. You know, I was the kid dancing around the record tables and, you know, the whole nine yards in the apartment complex. So I've just been blessed to just be engulfed in music my entire life. And, you know, it, it uh, <laughs> translated into what I'm doing now. Yeah, I, I wasn't I, I wasn't as fortunate, but we both played trumpet in middle school. So up until a point, we were the same. You know, I, I like to think that. And we both worked at McDonald's, that minimum wage hustle. 1,000%, bro. I'm terrible at trumpet. I've been thinking about picking it back up because it can get expensive, like if I want cats to play brass over my tracks. But um, yeah, I played trumpet in, from fifth grade through seventh grade and then put it down. And yeah, I worked at McDonald's from about the 10th grade through... I want to say the start of my senior year. Then I went and worked at a clothing store. But yeah, I was that kid coming home from McDonald's every night, smelling crazy, but bringing home filet of fish and Big Macs for the family and all of that. Man, it was it was a good time. Like I had a, uh, <laughs> I had a good time working there for the simple fact that I was able to buy whatever I wanted to buy. Obviously, I was still staying with mom, so my own motivation was to not be told no. Like if I wanted a pair of shoes or if I wanted to get freshest on the weekend. You know, that little McDonald's check, it put me together. See, but they give you an inch and you take a mile, at least in my case. Like, you know, you can go home and you can bring your family a parfait and a filet of fish. I got fired for stealing a case of quarter pound patties to take to the lake with my friends for a barbecue. But, I mean, I was young. 
You went crazy. Oh, I went crazy. In fact, I went into the walk-in and I took an egg and I threw it up uh, on the ceiling and I, I learned that they come down like stalagmites if you bust them up on the ceiling. So I had to go, but I was young and immature. Oh, yeah. they, they had to get you up out of there. You were slapping poop against the wall. Uh, I was walling out. <laughs> but but that's where the similarities between you and I end because uh, these day jobs that I bring up, they're important. You know, production assistant, uh, music supervisor, UCLA, programming producer, you are getting your master degree in business admin. You're like Kanye, man. You can't sit still. You have to create Yeezys. You have to meet with Elon Musk and create a compound campus. You have to create music at a ranch. You have all these ventures, and they all need to add up to something, right? Yeah, man. Uh, they all kind of fall underneath the umbrella of music, to be 1,000% you know, percent honest. Like the grad school thing, when I was in Cleveland, um, I would take classes here and there, and I you know, still try to tap in just to kind of stay sharp. I don't know if I'll ever wind up finishing that program. I do want to go back and get my master's at some point, but it was a, um, I was going for a master's of business administration before I relocated to Los Angeles. But yeah, right now I find myself in the world of sync and music supervision, which obviously falls under underneath the umbrella of um, just elevating the platform of storytellers through music, through film, through TV. But it wasn't like a linear path to even get to this point. Like, I didn't know about the world of sync. I didn't know about music supervision. As silly as it sounds, even composing and making a living, making music was just kind of far-fetched to me um, until maybe four or five years ago, where, you know, you get amongst the company of people that are in the mix of doing it, and you ask questions, and you have coffee meetings and that sort of thing, and it kind of opens you up to just a whole nother world that you didn't know exists. And I... I think that's part of one of the strong points in my music too, is um, I hate the word networking and it feels weird and it feels icky, but just reaching out, you know, and collaborating, even if it's just exchanging information and ideas, you have no idea how it's going to shift the way that you create, the way that you make music. I come from a background of working 10 years in auto insurance, but it's always been in my heart to work in music and to monetize and make a living working in music, be it producing music or doing music for film and TV, it's, you have to make a living, you know? So even if your day job doesn't quite reflect, not to sound like I'm preaching or anything like that, it's just something I'm really passionate about because it can look bleak knowing what you want to do and knowing where you're at and how you have to keep the lights on. And it's just a blessing that I've been afforded the opportunity to kind of merge both of those worlds did you get lucky though? So, like, when you were interning at radio stations and production companies, were you on a coffee run? And oh, Smokey Robinson is in the elevator with me. Oh, you know, any cool networking stories like that? No such thing as luck. So I will say, nothing that has ever happened has has been luck. I'm a super duper firm believer, and everything that happens or didn't happen is supposed to happen because that's what the boss man put in order, divine order. But the one story that kind of comes into mind uh, as far as just a cool, I guess you could say, antidote throughout the creating process up to this point. I remember I was working on a project with uh, Norell, one of the singers I was telling you about. We were finishing up her project and we came out to L.A. to just work on some more music. And um, we were at a sushi spot, just taking a break to grab some food before we went back to the studio. And it was about maybe four people in this general area waiting on the waiters to come out. And all of a sudden, we see like all of these super duper athletic built cats, like six, five, seven foot, nine foot, whatever, 300 pounds, just kind of like weird bias, like maybe five or six. So we looking like, what the heck was about to happen? Are they about to shift something around? Who about to come in here? 
we look up and it's uh, my favorite rapper in the entire world, Aubrey Graham, aka Drake. I better find your loving. I better find your heart. So we like, oh God, Drake is in the building. We need to try to figure this out. We just finished our project. We need to, you know, figure out how we can link with them, whatever. So I get the thought, okay, we got all of these demo CDs in the car. I'm going to run back out to the rental car. And when I get back, I'm going to give him the CD and, you know, kind of introduce myself. So I take the keys. I go out to where the uh, valet had the rental car park, grab about three, four demo CDs, run back to the elevator. When I get back to the top floor of the sushi joint that we were at, um, I looked and in my seat sitting at the table that I was sitting at was Drake. And I'm like, oh, man. So me trying to be at least halfway cool or fake like, you know, I've been somewhere before. I grab a seat kind of like nearby, but not too close. And he starts apologizing profusely like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean that, you know, sit in your spot. You know, you can have your seat back, whatever, whatever. And I'm like, nah, bro, you you got it. Huge fan of the work. This is uh, super inspiring even to have you, you know. Uh, rocking with us and talking to us at this time and you know the conversation just kept going and he wanted to know about why we were out there and what we were doing and I let him know you know we were working on the project at the time I wasn't producing music I served as more of an A&R for that project but um I played with the idea of producing I had the hardware had keyboards the laptop the whole nine yards but never actually produced a song. So I told him, I said, yeah, we're working on the A&R thing, but me personally, I'm thinking about jump, jumping into music production. And this had to be 2010. And he like stopped me dead in my tracks and was like, um, bro, I don't know what it is, but something about you reminds me of uh, 40. You familiar with the producer 40? And I'm like, yeah, of course I know 40, blah, blah, blah. I start going on about the tracks that I love that he produced. But that moment right there kind of put the, like the spark. Better find your loving. I better find your heart. I better find your loving. I better find your love. So, like, you know what? Go ahead and and get it going. You know, for whatever reason he said that. I don't know if it was just. You know, just something cool to say at the moment, but I took it and I ran with it, got back home to Cleveland and just really went super hard at trying to learn as much as I can about just the art of producing and uh, music theory and just jump in head first. Is there, was there any regrets though? Because Drake walks in and now he tells you, Romero, I'm starting a label. I'm working on a record. Do you produce records? And you have all the equipment at your place to start making music, but you truthfully say no. Now, some may say at that moment, you could have faked it until you made it. You could have went home, made five beats and sent it to him the next day and you never know. So I have two regrets for that story. And I try not to have regrets. So first regret is me being too cool for school. I say, um, how about I give you my contact information. And if you're digging the project, you know, let us know, reach out. We're accessible. First regret is me not asking for their contact information to try to keep. This was before I had an Instagram or anything. So that's my first regret, not getting some sort of contact from them, touching base. 
just so we can keep the line of communication going. Obviously, Drake has a million and one things going. I didn't know this was before he like really started going hard on the, the label side. Second regret is I was caught up in the moment. So I gave the waiter my uh, debit card and told her to send a round of Patrons to everyone at his table. And um, I cringe to even think about what that bill looked like. But I felt like I was in a video shoot. So I just went for it. They sent the round of Patrons out to um, his table. He called me back over to where they were sitting. He was like, man, you got these Patrons for the table. You got to raise a toast. So I raised a toast. I said something really, really cool about, you know, toast to prosperity and all of us getting our dreams out and blah, blah, blah. And we all chop it up, laugh. He returned the favor, bought my table. Everyone's uh, dinner was paid for on behalf of him and the OVO team. So going overdraft was probably one regret and the other was not getting any sort of contact information from them. But I honestly believe in my heart of hearts that at some point, We'll connect again, so I'm not tripping. Yeah, I hate to play the what-if game, but Progressive Insurance might not even have known your name if you would have played it right. (laughs) So if you help develop insight to the music needs of clients throughout the industry, I imagine that creative pitching has evolved, correct? It is, 1,000%. Are you you good at selling ideas to people? That aspect of my, I guess you could say, spiel or pitch is more so in relation to the sync world and the music supervision world, even if it's not my music, I'm constantly pitching other artists, pitching other producers, composers uh, for various works, be it a commercial, be it for TV, film, whatever the case may be. Just because it's not my music doesn't mean that I'm not going to try to elevate somebody else's platform. So having an understanding of what the story entails or whatever sync project it is that I'm working on, I have no problem in pitching artists that I believe in. I can know you. I cannot know you. I could have found your music on SoundCloud. I could have just been a fan, you know, of your work. I was working on a project a couple years back, and at the time, I was super duper into her. Uh, so still super duper into it. But the project I was listening to at that time, I was pitching music from her project. Or if it's something that I fell upon, and I think, oh man, Alex Isley's song will go amazing here. I pitch it. So. Um, yeah, just being in the space to be able to uh, help other artists get their music heard. And even if they are well-known artists or not well-known artists, I just love being able to put people onto new music they may not have been familiar with. It's hard to recommend sync licensing work as a valuable method for new artists to potentially earn some decent money because it's an uphill battle, right? You need to own both your master and the copyright rights to the music, or at least control them if you don't own all of them. Not necessarily. You don't have to. If you and the people that you've created with have an agreement together, then that song can still be pitched. So if I don't own the masters to a track, but I created it with someone who does, that song can still be pitched. Uh, Let me see if I have a good example here. So how the movie Us turned I Got Five on it into a Mm -hmm. creepy horror theme. That mm-hmm. like you see in interviews, Jordan Peele mm-hmm. takes credit for it. Like, oh yeah, I feel like the beat in that song has this inherent cryptic energy, like Nightmare in Elm Street. But I don't. It was it's the it's the sync licensor. It was the composer for Library, right? It's his job. See, I can't speak to that specific song only because I don't know whose idea it was to choose that. So I don't know if it was a music supervisor. I don't know if it was a coordinator who worked underneath the music supervisor who felt like, yo, I think this would be amazing. Or if it was the idea of Jordan Peele, like, yo, I've always wanted to just flip. I got five on it. So I can't really 
speak to um, who should get the credit there. I know a lot of times it is a team effort. And sometimes, or a lot of times, it's it's not. Sometimes it's exactly the music supervisor, the music supervisor's job, and they'll leave it solely to the music supervisor. So that specific song, I think it was an amazing flip and caused a total genre shift in the world of sync. Like the term trailerize is now being thrown around. So if someone they'll want a trailerized version of, you know, a '90s R&B song or a trailerized version of. Uh, a Beethoven song, or whatever the case may be. I think I, I think the genius was I got five on it was like a one hit wonder because what are the loonies doing nowadays? And I think one of the members who is in his mid forties said he was ecstatic to learn that the song would be included in the film's promotion. He said it was the best thing besides his children being born that he had ever heard. <laughs> Now, if you license a Billie Eilish song or Taylor Swift or Eminem, it's just another paycheck in the mail, another day at the office. But for him, it was up there with his kids being born. I, I think that's why it was smart when you can – it was a, a song that no one really cared about in the last decade or so and brought it back to the forefront. That's dope. It's incredibly dope. It's breathing new life into – that song is a masterpiece, you know what I mean? Regardless of if it was one song or if they had four other dope ones that people aren't really familiar with or just that one was – enough to make you know such a mark just culturally you know what i mean to the point to where it had to be revised and resurrected today so you know shout out to those cats man they did their thing on that joint whoever produced it shout out to the loonies yeah man it's it's dope very very dope and i'm glad they got that moment the rapper chip the rip he made his way to texas speakers i've known about him for a while way before he was on cuddy tracks uh the, the cleveland show gift raps those are huge tapes but he, here's the problem you know you hear bone talking about East 99th Street, and you have no idea what that is, but you feel the authenticity. Songs like that where I'm describing parts of my neighborhood where you would have had to have lived there to understand. But now, everyone's in Los Angeles. Crazy Bone lives down the street from King Chip. Cuddy lives in L.A. You live in L.A. Clevelandfornia is a real thing. Nobody stays in Cleveland anymore. Even though Detroit is three hours away, why aren't there L.A. opportunities in Cleveland? I'm going to be honest, man. Um... I'm not going to say you can't do your thing from the crib because there are people that live in Cleveland and are making amazing music and they're they're doing things, you know what I mean, strictly from Cleveland. But for me personally, coming out to L.A. has definitely contributed to my growth, man. I mean, you're meeting and you're in the company of amazing musicians, amazing artists that you're going to learn from just inherently. You're going to have conversations. You're going to be in the studio. You're going to be exposed to a lot of people that are cooking up. Not to say that you can't do that in Cleveland, but for me, my experience moving to Los Angeles was uh, pivotal and it was necessary for me to you know, have that growth in my, my music. Sonically, I'm surrounded by musicians that I listen to, just listen to, you know, when I lived in Cleveland, now I'm in the studio with them. You know what I mean? So even if I haven't had the opportunity to create with them as of yet, you're going to wind up uh, being in the same company as a lot of these people. Um, shout out to Chip, too. Me and Chip worked on a joint back in 2014, 2013. Yeah, another legend from the city. But I feel like I always encourage anyone who has the opportunity to spend a little bit of time out to Los Angeles, spend a little bit of time in Los Angeles, even if they don't 
relocate. It would be time well spent because it's an energy. You know what I mean? It's a vibrant energy. It's a um, just the weather alone. You know what I mean? It kind of affects your mood, the sunlight, and it just contributes to any and everything that you're doing sonically. It's going to elevate it. Yeah, even J.P. Floyd put school on hold and moved to Los Angeles to further his dreams. And since moving there, what happened? He he performed with Bette Midler. He was on a Chance the Rapper record, uh, did music with Demi Lovato, Frank Ocean. I mean, the evidence kind of speaks for itself. It, it does, man. And J.P., that's, um, that's one of my good friends, trombonist, incredible producer, incredible writer. What's going on, Bedroom Beethoven Podcast? It's your boy, J.P. Floyd. I am uh, currently in Chicago. That's where I'm born and raised. I was living in Los Angeles um, before this, but because of the pandemic, kind of brought me back home. So so here I am. Um, just wanted to speak on my boy Romero and how I met him. Um, I met him through my, my boy or one of our mutual friends. His name is Nate Fox. They were off the heels of working on I want to say it was Acid Rap for one of those projects. And he just happened to be sitting in the studio with a guitar case next to him. Nate was doing a session, and I guess Romero was, you know, one of the guys using the studio time. And from there, like, everything kind of clicked. I was probably adding some horns because I play trombone. I was probably adding some horns to the record. And, um, and it just clicked. And I just always loved, like, Romero's sound. Like, it's smooth. And it's soulful, and that's always right up my alley. You know, like the music just makes you feel like you're cruising down Lakeshore from in Chicago or the PCH from in LA, you know. So <laughs> nice, that's my boy. Yeah, man. I I think I like to say a lot of my music is uh chill, laid back, but I love minor chords. I love it if you could feel it, if you could feel it in your chest. I don't care if you got your windows rolled down, if it's a sad song. Whatever the case may be, if you could feel it, that's that's my ultimate goal, man. And if I got those joints that make you just want to cruise and, you know, pour something with your lady, that's that's amazing. <laughs> so shout out to my boy Romero. And um, also, too, uh, you can look up any of my music. Like I said, if you type in J.P. Floyd, I played on, you know, a, a few Grammy Award winning projects. Um, Chance the Rapper's Coloring Book as well as Mac Miller's last album, Swimming, an RP to, to the guide, you know, but, um, but yeah, but you can stream my, um, my project that I recently released a couple years ago, it's entitled Sarah Episode One, and you can find it on SoundCloud, you can find it on all streaming platforms, and I'm currently also working on some new music too, so be on the lookout for that, but this is J.P. Floyd, I appreciate, appreciate you once again, Bedroom Beethoven Podcast, you all stay blessed, peace. But only in Ohio can you join a session, and when you get in the room, an artist can cry, not record a lyric, and you can be there for five hours and waste your time. <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a one of one where I walked into the room and I was ready to work, and the artist that I was working with, I'll just say she uh, she had a moment where in that moment involved headstands, it involved. Some tears. It just was a lot to take in as a new producer, but you know, I just tried to do my best to serve as some sort of friend or uh, some piece of—I don't know, man. That that moment was strange. It was strange. 
I, I mean, a, a, a two hour headstand. That's more than a moment. <laughs> yeah, I might have exaggerated by maybe 15 minutes, but it was, long. It, was about, it was over an hour. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> over, over an hour. And we never spoke again after that, that moment. Yeah, it was a learning lesson, man. You definitely got to know what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> All right. Well, let, let's focus on a, a project that does make sense. Forever is for dreamers. And it's been out for just over a year now. And um, it, w- when you feel that highly and confident about a piece of work that you create, you called it a masterpiece. And it doesn't either get the push, recognition, or accolades that you feel it deserves what is your thought process? How do you do you feel like you got your due with that project? No way. And I feel like it's partially my fault. I'm not the best when it comes to or at the time that I released the project, I didn't have the resources monetarily to put into like marketing and advertising and that sort of thing. So maybe from that end of it, I couldn't promote it as hard as I wanted to. I did the best that I could, you know, with the tools that I had, but it's Oh man, it's grossly underrated. Although I do get a lot of love on it from people that have heard it, I'm still I'll, I'll be pushing that project once I even have a Grammy. I'll still be talking about Forever for Dreamers because so much went into it. You know what I mean? Like I'm not exaggerating when I say, you know, blood, sweat, and tears. Like I worked really, really hard on it. The the musicianship behind it. The artists that I work with, the musicians that I work with, like we work tirelessly to make that project what it is. And I can very confidently say I, I hit it out the park just sonically with what it is that I was intending to do. Even if it doesn't, you know, sound like or feel like a masterpiece to anyone else, I feel like I did everything that I set out to do with that project. The cool thing is to to celebrate. Uh, it being just over a year, you created a playlist of songs that inspired you while creating the project. The only artist to appear on that list twice was John Mayer, which I didn't expect. John Mayer, he has an incredible pen and a really, really great way of um, oversimplifying really, really complex thoughts and feelings, especially in the uh, as it relates to love and love loss and unrequited love. You know what I mean? I feel like he's... Um, He's one of the goats when it comes to writing and just his choices musically. They just, they hit, they hit. His musicality usually inspires people. People can say that he's a really, really great guitar player. I've never heard anyone praise his songwriting. So I I think that you're seeing something or appreciating something that goes overlooked. Yeah, man. I mean, guitar. it is what it is on the guitar playing. He's amazing. Like the melodies he chooses, the, the chord progressions that go along with all of the recordings that he made it's it just he's he's one of he's one of the goats the songwriting definitely shouldn't get overlooked well it's time to look to the present and it's time to look to the future i think we covered a lot of bases is there anything that you want to plug or should we just focus on forevers for dreamers and get the word out on that because it seems like that is just a project that you were 100% happy with, and every time you get it in front of somebody, they like it. The problem is you, we just need to get it out in front of more people. 1,000%, man. I'm still pushing that project. i um, trying to think, is there anything that I want to plug? Um, I mean, if you want to plug that E-40 impersonation, I mean, we can get we can get on that. Forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> that only happens after a couple glasses of wine and, you know, 
I'm, I don't know who's going to hear this. So we're not doing the E40 impersonation. I guess I could plug my city, super duper. Like I said, Cleveland is the, the backbone of my music, where I come from, my values. So shout out to the city. I know Narelle is working on her project. So, you know, you can look out for that. And yeah, I'm cooking too, man. I wouldn't be uh, surprised if you guys heard a follow-up to Forever's for Dreamers in the uh, near future. I'm not quite sure when. I'm scrapping songs. I'm working on songs. I fall in and out of love with the music that I make daily. So we'll see. But I'll just say um, stay tuned, man. Maybe next year uh, for your birthday, I'll send you two cupcakes and two bottles, and I'll get that E-40 impersonation out of you then. Hey, you know what? You got it. If I, <laughs> I get two bottles of Clico and two two cupcakes from you, bro, you got the E-40 impersonation. You can forget about it. It's done. I got you, man. Well, stay in touch, man. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, bro. Talk to you soon.